Thanks for tuning in to Pod22. My name is Philip Baird. My guest this week is Mike Petrakis. He's the CEO and co-founder of Batch, a bachelor bachelorette planning app that he started with his friend Greg Ramey. There are a lot of things I really like about Mike. His enthusiasm, go-getter attitude, and love for the outdoors. But what I like the most about Mike? His entrepreneurial spirit. He's a true builder, and he's a really fun one to talk to. He launched Batch in January 2020 with over 50,000 pre-registered users right before the pandemic hit. And instead of claiming defeat, Mike and his team, they made the product better. They expanded to more cities, they added more content, and his co-founder Greg contacted more activity providers. The app is on a roll as of late and seems to be super popular with women. So we'll talk about his past leading up to Batch and what they expect in terms of growth for 2021. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey there. Welcome to Pod22, another episode. I'm here with Mike Petrakis from Batch. How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, cool. So uh, how's it going? How's your day going so far? Great day. Just went for a swim and uh, happy to be here on the podcast. Nice. What was the temperature of the water? Just out of curiosity. Warm, man. I'm just thankful to be in Miami. It's the new tech hub. Okay, that's cool. I went running today and it was like minus 10 Celsius. So it's not the, not the same reality. Good for you. Uh, that's cool. And, and you're in Miami, actually. That, that was a, a later question, but I'll ask it now. You're in Miami because you guys just started uh, an accelerator program. Is that correct? So that's in Stanford. It's a remote program. My partner and I happy, happen to be based in Miami right now because okay. um, it's warm. And you know, <laughs> it's just, we have some friends down here. So we figured if we're hiding out somewhere, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah, that's cool. That, that's really cool. Speaking of places, where did you grow up? Grew up outside Philly. So I uh, grew up in the Burbs and uh, yeah, little town called Phoenixville, about 30, 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Okay. In our previous conversations, you and I had talked about this, but you, you had a, a love for the outdoors growing up. Do you mind telling us a bit more about that? Sure. I mean, uh, I was like a 90s kid, dude. I mean, growing up watching Nickelodeon, playing outside, playing sports and uh running around. So definitely grew up with familiar with the outdoors and it's kind of led to a lot of my further like additional passions in life. Talking about running, you competed in track and field in college, right? Or in high school and college? Both. Yeah. So I grew up playing all sorts of sports. The common theme was that I was fast and uh, I just kind of took that into, you know, a try. I, I actually ran the mile in eighth grade and I was like, I ran like five minutes flat and I was like, okay, cool. You have some potential with this sport. And then, you know, it, it led into running in high school. And then I set some school records. I got recruited to Richmond for it. I mean, it was kind of a great, that it, like it taught me a lot in terms of life lessons and in, in terms of like learning the dedication of the sport and and the determination and kind of grit that it takes to be a good runner. It's a tough sport, man. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. It's not just a tough sport. It's it's one where you know, I was reading that there's just incredible amount of injuries from people who run who think they know how to run and and they they run you know at a bad pace or other things like that and they just get you know joint pain and stuff. So, so it can be it can be it can be very good for you, but it could also be unforgiving. And so th- this this sort of uh, track and field landed you at Richmond. Uh, what did you study in college? I studied entrepreneurship. Yeah. So uh, startups through and through. I think what started it was that I had an injury my sophomore year that took me out of running. I broke my neck in a snowboarding accident and I was home while all my friends were partying. And that kind of led me to say, hey, startups are really cool. I read a bunch of books, like Tim Ferriss books back in the day. This is in like 20, 
2011, 2012, when entrepreneurship was like becoming more more of a thing on college campuses. And uh, I just, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to kind of leave a, a stamp on my life and I could do that through startups. So I really just ran with that from pretty early age. That's cool. That's really, really cool. And then while in college, did you like join any, any sort of at McGill uh, where I, I went to university, there's a, there's like an entrepreneurship cup. It's called the Dobson cup. Uh, did you enter, did you any like sort of outside extracurricular entrepreneurship, like, you know, activities or, or competitions? I would start, like, I started a little clothing brand. I, I did artist representation. I, I like was really interested in the local, like scene at the university of Richmond more than I was on the actual campus itself, because I felt like I just liked getting outside and seeing like what the retail scene looked like. So yeah, that's, I was more like involved with trying to do my own thing and test different projects out, uh, when I was in school. It's a very entrepreneur <laughs> answer. And that accident that you just spoke about, the biggest accident I've had is like, I've like, you know, sprained my ankle, like, but what's, you know, breaking a neck, it's, you know, it does have an effect. Yeah. yeah. It does, it hits yeah tough, right? Well, wings are right now. So I'm feeling good. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it really took me out. I was out of school for like a year. I had to learn how to walk again. It was like, my parents took care of me. My mom was the best with kind of like, like feeding, literally like feeding me. And I was all over, I was in a wheelchair. I was, I had to go to school at Villanova and St. Joe's and all the kids would look at me funny and be like, is that kid okay? And fortunately within like six months, I had a full recovery, learned how to walk, like could exercise and I'm a hundred percent good to go now. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's cool. And, and you know, we'll talk about a little bit about like surfing in particular, because I, I really, really enjoy the, what you told me in the past about like how you, you sort of turned that around and really like started doing more activities in a different way. But Let's go back to the business and, and the career. Uh, after you leave college, I think you start at Boast, which is an apparel mm -hmm. company. Do you want to tell us a little bit how you you landed that job and and what were your basically your was your role there? I started as an intern, and I told them that I would do a college or a campus ambassador program. So my first job was literally traveling across the country from Florida all the way up to Massachusetts, hosting parties and hosting events. It was so crazy. Like I just went around with a GoPro and hosted like events to promote this brand on college campuses. And just to back up for a second, Boast is this tennis apparel brand from the 70s that we relaunched. And it's known for having this Japanese maple leaf that looks like a pot leaf that, uh, that <laughs> like, we just ran with. So it, it was kind of interesting. It resonated well with like all these country clubs that knew it from the 70s and 80s, but also with this like urban streetwear community. So when we put on college campuses and I threw a couple of discounts and gave people some free gear, they loved it. Cause they were like, Oh, cool. Like pot brand or like a polo with the pot leaf on it. Yeah. And it looks so, good. And it, it looks good. It looks like you're, you're wearing a, like a rich polo brand. Right. And so yeah, exactly. It was a lot of fun. That was my first kind of project with them. And then I evolved to just running all the marketing and sales for the brand. And uh, we sold to over 300 country clubs and had a good retail presence, opened up a store in Connecticut and in New York. Yeah, it was really, really cool experience to be like 22 to 24 years old. Uh, first gig out of college. That's really cool. And, it, and you know, it kind of reminds me of the story of Bumble, you know, how she like just literally started the same way across like exactly. campuses to like just like create this brand that nobody was aware do you know why they chose the, that Japanese maple leaf as a logo? Do you, is that I think because of, share? I, I think because of the kind of like ironic, kind of like irreverent 
attitude behind the brand. You had like John McEnroe wearing this brand back in the day and like Borg and like a bunch of like really famous tennis players. It was pretty wild. Yeah, but hopefully other happy people because he's like the angriest person on the world. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's that's really cool, man. And and you know beyond that, that's the first internship role. You know, I think I think you you kind of grew the brand by. I think you mentioned the flagship stores that that were added. Did you guys do any work with social media? You know, it's at the same time that like Facebook, uh, these totally. platforms start growing up. What what did you guys do with regards to that? Yeah, so it, the role evolved to being a little more sophisticated with running marketing and sales from being an intern. And uh, it, it just became a game of customer acquisition costs to LTV and getting kind of like a good grip on how to run an e-commerce business like marketing machine. Cause, right. And I found that really interesting because I was early stages of Facebook ads and Google ads back then. You know, and, and you could have like really low CPMs to reach a lot of people um, for not a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah that it was like, it was still very innovative in the way. And like, you know, we're 10, it, it, it feels weird that it's like not even 10 years from now or like ago, you know, it's still, it was still very novel. Right. Now, I, I really want to talk about Batch a lot, but it's not your first startup. I think after you leave Boast, you uh, you had to, you, you started another, you started your first startup, basically. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what was that and what you did? And, and I think it's from the same industry, correct? Yeah, so... I just understood e-commerce businesses at that time because it's pretty simple. It's like revenue over expenses. Then if you could project out your cogs and like your production purchases, like it became something where, okay, if you get this on enough people and you make good products and they like it, then you could have like a nice cash generating machine. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, those businesses made a lot of sense to me, but I was the first hire at Boast and I wanted to really start something and be a founder of something. So I joined a guy named Terry White to build Wolico from the ground up. I was the co-founder and COO and we had a lot of fun. It was just bootstrapped. Uh, I joined right after he launched a successful Kickstarter campaign. He raised like, I don't know, 125,000 bucks asking for like 20,000 at the time. So we kind of knew it had legs and it was just simple. It was compression shorts with pockets in them. Like, and as a runner, I was like, okay, cool. I get it. Like that's very straightforward, but nice product made in the USA, decent margins. So yeah, I, I just jumped in and, and uh, built it with them from the ground up. That's, uh, that's very interesting. I know you weren't participating in it because you, you just mentioned it, but the Kickstarter campaign, my question is, I've, I've spoken to people who've had successful uh, crowdfunding campaigns and unsuccessful. And what they tell me is it's like, it's like you're, you're, you're running for office. It's like a full-time, like, you, where are you going to get the votes for today type of thing? Did your par- business partner, Terry, share that, that that sort of like story to you? I think it's just like a virality thing. Like you literally have to exhaust your network and pass that link to every single person you've ever met in your life and every forum and then every Reddit thread and every social media thread. And that's yeah. how you have a successful Kickstarter. Yeah. And then um, from there, it's like, there's been some really interesting businesses that have come across like Kickstart and Indiegogo. And it's a great way to start by crowdfunding something because you saved the equity up front. Mm-hmm. That's, that's true. And, and you still, you know, you remain bootstrapped for all intents and purposes, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what we did. I mean, we essentially tried to revenue fund the business. So that was, you know, I learned all the kind of basics of an apparel business at Boast. And then Wallaco was scrappy. It was just like, we had to hustle to make it work. And we ended up, it was like 80% e-commerce and then 20%, uh, we still did retail stores such as like Equinox and we got it in like 30 or 40 locations across the country. So 
Um, we were just really scrappy with how we built that business and tried to revenue fund it. And it's grown consistently year over year. And the business is still doing well and moving in the right direction. I just actually talked to Terry uh, a couple of days ago. Cool. Well, it's cool that you you kept contact. And do you feel like your experience at, at uh, Boast before kind of paid out at Wolico uh, mm-hmm. in a certain way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It, that was like kind of, all right, here's the basics. And then Wolico was kind of startup 101. And then that kind of prepared me and made me antsy to build something explosive, which led me to batch. Did you guys use a Shopify thing? Like what was like, you know, what was the key to, to, to getting these things in, in the e-commerce? Because, you know, it's, it's a tough field. What did you guys do that like kept you growing and that or you're proud of like in terms of successes? Yeah, um, it was a Shopify platform, which is great. Shopify is an incredible tool. And like, I, I know you like it because it's a Canadian business. <laughs> <laughs> I like it because I like to buy it, I suppose. Yeah. It's really because <laughs> a lot of marketplace businesses have, come, have like risen up in the past couple of years that are just modeling after Shopify. Because yeah. Shopify even has these little plug-in apps. Like if you want to leave ratings and reviews, you have a company called Yapco, stuff like that. Yeah. Where like those are big businesses themselves and they just mm-hmm. feed off of this beast that is Shopify. Yeah. No, I, I agree. But you know, there there is a downside to it. There's like those people, um, you know, I forget the the actual term of the industry for it, but they just like create fake Shopify accounts and buy like stuff on Alibaba, get it shipped, and then resell it as like an incredible product. And so that yeah. like kind of yeah, you know, these yeah, you got lots of that, right? <laughs> these like you know, uh, yeah. So so there is a downside to it, but I, I'm you know at the same time I'm glad that like if you know so many entrepreneur journeys are, are created because of it. Um, great. So let's let's table that. <laughs> Talk about the batch. Um, man, a lot of questions, but I think my first question is: I think you met your business partner uh, Greg before in your pre your previous jobs. Uh, let's let's just talk about about like how you met Greg first, and then we'll we'll get into the batch. Uh, how did that happen? That's how I met my boy. I'm going to call him Cowboy Greg from now on. Okay, um, so I met him on a customer service call at Boast. He calls in and he's like. He's like, I just happened to pick up a customer service phone that day. And I was like, hello, this is Boast. How may I help you? And he's like, I can't tell if I'm a small or a medium belt size. Which one am I? I'm like, I don't know, man. I have no idea who you are, but like, what's your waist size? So he's, he's like a 32, I think at the time. And, uh, and I was like, you're probably a medium. I think you're safe with that. And then uh, we started talking. I was like, where am I shipping this thing? He's like, it's like new agency. And I was like, oh, cool. That They do artist representation. I was familiar because I kind of like knew about them from college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we hit it off because I was like, look, I'm trying to get this brand on a couple artists, like musicians. It'd be really cool. Can you help me with that? He's like, I got you covered. Let's meet up for lunch. We had lunch in Midtown in Manhattan. And uh, we just hit it off from there and we ended up becoming good friends and our friends became friends. And uh, we start, we had this little like kind of hub of startup friends, like back in New York when we were young, like in our early twenties and just kind of stayed in touch from there. And uh, he actually started, he was like the first or second hire at Blade, which recently announced that they're going to have an IPO. So I went like really scrappy and small with these apparel businesses and he just kind of like took in this crazy role at Blade. And, uh, you know, we just had these like different experiences, but both like really good for us because for me, I'm like really operational and like lean and mean is my mindset. And then he's really good with bringing resources into the table. He's like the best salesman you've ever met. 
and uh, it kind of fit with his ego at Blade or his role at Blade ethos at, at Blade. And uh, I think that it just combined to make this powerful combination of, hey, you can bring resources in, I can help put them to work. So we might have a startup on our hands if we come up with the right idea. That's so cool because a lot of people, you know, it's the idea that leads you to the partner, but in your case, it was the partner. Kind of new. Yeah. I was like, it'd be fun to build a business with that guy. Yeah. yeah. You got yeah. the partner. Now you're like, I need the idea. That leads right into my next question. Uh, yeah. Where did the idea for, for the, the batch come in? Yeah. So lead investor brought me the idea uh, a couple of years ago when I was starting to look around because I was thinking about, all right, I want to build something explosive. I was talking to family and friends, my advisors and stuff like that. He's like, hey, Mike, you should really think about this. And the thing that I loved about it was you could go after everybody who's ever marked themselves as engaged on Facebook. Like if you had an app that could plan and book a bachelor bachelorette party from start to finish, then it's really easy to market something online because it's easy to target them. And the US market opportunity, when we did the math, was like crazy. It was like an $11 billion market opportunity in the US. So I just put like the investor hat on and I was like, oh, wow, this could be something really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, so from there, it was about kind of putting together the right team and MVP. So I called up Greg um, and I was like, Greg, that, I got something cool. We should meet. Uh, so we, we had brunch and um, I don't know, on some weekend in Williamsburg and kind of talked about this idea and fleshed it out a little bit. And I was like, will you build this with me? And he's, he was like, yeah, I'm all in. This sounds really fun. You know, cause it's like, yes, market opportunity. Like all the boxes are checked. Like you had, you know, ability to scale hasn't been done before. No technology is addressing it. But I think the thing that I, he was thinking about was, damn, this is fun. I'm going to work with nightclubs and restaurants and hotels and houses, you know, it's so, up to everybody. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, that's what I think was going through his head. And then I was thinking like, man, this is a cool opportunity to build something really big. And uh, that's, that's how it started. It was smart. It was really smart to, to just think about, you know, relationship status on Facebook engaged, like there, you, there you go. And you had, you had already your, your sort of knowledge of the, the Facebook marketplace from your previous uh, apparel gigs. And so like before launch, how many, how many users did you guys have, uh, have like, how, what was your go-to strategy basically when you had your MVP? Yeah. So first off, I came from the apparel e-commerce background, so I needed help. Greg had app experience from Blade, and then he helped bring on some contracted product manager support. And then we outsourced our development team. So it was really just about like building a good MVP, but at the same time, building up a big wait list. Because mm -hmm. we read some article that Robinhood had this explosive wait list, like they let them in the app and it went crazy. The best thing that our wait list did, besides build us early traction, was we would survey them. We built this 50,000 person wait list and we would ask them, what tools do you want to see? And they are the ones that came up with invite your friends, chat, poll, you know, put an itinerary together, split up expenses. Like they right. dictated the product roadmap for us. And then we just built our product as they told us to. That's, that's you just like you gathered that data so quickly. And so like it was it was the real it was really the the users and users talking to you It was just like what survey monkey like you just sent it with like a couple of questions you guys had thought through and then boom, 50,000. I think that's what you mentioned 50,000 signups yeah. uh, for the thing. Wow. 
That's the cheat code is use Typeform. I love Typeform. It's all branded and you can do a really good job with getting information. But we got like, that was when we knew we had something interesting because we got so, so many crazy responses. Like people were sharing all sorts of information with us that we couldn't believe. And we were like, wow, okay, cool. Like they're telling us our product roadmap. They're sharing all their secrets of their bachelor bachelorette parties with us. Mm-hmm. So we kind of knew um, that we had something based off the product roadmap, but also that there was a real opportunity there. Yeah. And there's another thing that uh, we, we talked about this. It's something that, you know, I, I know for a fact, and I, I found it interesting that you guys did it because it just didn't seem apparent in the market. But the fact is, is that 86, I think a, a partner of ours shared me a stat and said 86% of travelers, you know, they want to know things around the area they're going. And so you guys just literally like you have that idea and then you like put it with a bachelor, bachelorette planning app. And then you have, you know, a yeah. centric thing, with yeah. everything. And, and yeah. this was really cool. Like what, what, you know, you guys you know, didn't have any background in tourism. What like you guys were like, oh, oh, let's go by cities. First of all, which cities did you choose and why? And, and what, what was going through your process of like, oh, we should do it city centric. Yeah. So we've both been on bachelor parties and we both knew that there were some things that went amazingly well and then somewhere we're like oh man we could have did we could have planned that a little better Mm. and um so that kind of helped us figure out like like what were the major pain points in terms of group dynamics because it really comes down to like different personalities and trying to get people to agree on where they want to go what they want to do you know how much money they should spend on things um so that was one side of it the other when it comes to the marketplace how we monetize our app it was about finding the best experiences and the best houses that we could possibly offer throughout the country. And no one, there was no technology that was creating experience, like a place to just book experiences. You got Airbnb experiences, but those are like private little tours. And then you have mm. like, you know, Via Tour and Fair Harbor. But yeah. you know, when you thought about Hunky Tonk Party Express, like our top seller in Nashville, you know, that's just, that's a, it's a great small business and he's on a web, he's on his own website and he's not marketing that outside of his own business, like his own site. Mm-hmm. So our opportunity was to just highlight all these great businesses throughout the country and just put them in one place on our app. And this comes back to, to uh, your cowboy, Greg, I think you told me he, he was the one who just, you know, called all these people and just basically, yeah. you know, did the process and then, brought them onto the platform because you guys, you know, you couldn't, there was no API, you know, just, you had to like get these people validate that this is really something that bachelor bachelorette parties would, would want. And then you had to get them into the, the batch ecosystem. Um, that's cool. How many, how many calls did Greg do? I'm sure thousands. Two years or so, like thousands, I'm sure. And and it's funny because if you catch him at the wrong time, he'll just be like so exhausted. But he doesn't he doesn't sleep much, and he just calls vendors and and like opens up new business. But the value prop is that we'll drive your marketing engine for you, so you can stop worrying. Eventually, if we build up the demand for you, then we'll book you months out, and you don't need to worry about marketing your own website. We'll take care of this. Yeah, you'll do all of it for them. So we just pass business to these guys. So that that became kind of the strategy behind it. But, you know, we launched with three cities with Nashville, Vegas, Miami in January. And then then we'll get into the pandemic and stuff. But it really just gave us opportunity to just go nuts with building out our marketplace. Now we have 14 cities represented through uh, throughout the U.S. And we've seen some crazy 
dynamics that have kind of come up over the past year. But yeah, it's been, we have now like 1500 different experiences. Wow. That's really cool. And what's, what's the sign up? How long does it take them to like sort of sign up on your, on your platform? If they come in and just to sort of be live as a suggested uh, experience in the, in these cities? I would say, I mean, he would say no way, but I'll, I'll say 10 minutes because <laughs> you know, it should, it should get to a point where it's automated. Like if they fill out a type form, like inquiring to become a vendor and they go through an approval process, it usually takes a phone call, but eventually we're trying to automate that onboarding flow so that whatever information they input can then be reflected and like approved on our back end. Mm-hmm. So we're just loading up new vendors on our back end constantly. But you also have non book you have bookable and non bookable experiences. So mm-hmm. if you're in Montreal and you want to go to that like big park to play spike ball, that's a good example. What's the park next to McGill? Um, well, there's uh, Mount Royal Park is the is the biggest park. It's like the biggest. It's the one that's made by the or was built by the or designed rather by the architect who did the Central Park in New York, a homestead. Yeah. So I would get I imagine yeah. yeah, Jamal's Park, uh, thereabouts there, where they have the tam tams and stuff. We I went there on a bachelor party and we played we played spike ball for six hours. Yeah, it's a, it's a very um, it's a very big spike ball community. <laughs> um, my friend Alex, I, he's probably not listening, but uh, he actually broke his ankle playing spike ball. So you, beware, it can be very dangerous. It's a great match activity. It's an example of a non-bookable activity, but very fun. It's easy to spend a day hanging out with your friends, drinking beers on a beautiful day outside, playing yes. spike. Yeah, yeah, and and that the whole like hanging out at the park is a very Montreal thing. You know, it's a it's a very it's a very cool Montreal summer thing. Um, and then the you know you can drink in the park as long as you have food and it's like a social setting and you're not too right. loud. It's like actually legal. So right. I'm glad you did that, man. I didn't even know. Okay, that, now that that made me really happy to hear that. Uh, we're gonna go with the more gruesome pictures. You know, you guys launch in January. You know, the pandemic starts coming in February, March. Like we, I remember we all went we work from home. We had like a yeah big Friday, and then we all started working from home. Uh, what was what? What did you guys experience? Uh, at- what were those dates where you started? Do you remember? I think it was mid March. Now that I, now that I trying to yeah. remember, I can't really remember the exact dates. But oh. It was mid mid March thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. So I went for a surf trip in Puerto Rico in late in late January for a weekend. And I remember like flying back and and when we got back, we saw like people in face masks in JFK and we were just like, what is going on? That's so bizarre. And we like ran by with our shirts up because we didn't know what to do at the time. And then, um, you know, and then our office was in Soho. I mean, really Chinatown, if we're being honest. And, uh, and, and everybody started wearing masks for the next like month. And uh, so we saw this coming oh, like, and we were advising our, our team, like, guys, it's going down. We're going to have to work remotely for a while. And like the business repercussions, we knew were going to suck, but we thought it would be like two weeks. You know, like, we did not think it would go on for as long as it has. <laughs> and, and But what happened was in, in like, I think March 12th, my fiance and I drove back to Philadelphia and, uh, and that's kind of when we knew it was real because we were like, I don't know when the next time we're going back to New York is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and from there, we, sh- so the first 60 days when we were live, we shot up to 140,000 users in our app. We were top, we were number 52 in the app store. We were on fire. We were like, we're unstoppable. We just closed our seed round at the time. And, uh, and then March happened and we were home for, you know, we kind of just like buckled down and put a plan together to come out of this stronger because we didn't really see other choices. So there's a couple of things that we did with the pandemic. One was just like the first thing was try to figure out, all right, well, we got to refund everybody who just booked something who can't go on their trip anymore. And then we also have to call up every single vendor 
and, and just gauge their health like throughout this entire time, you know? So that was kind of like cover your bases first. Wow. That's, that's a lot of work. And, you know, that's, that's really cool that you guys did that because, you know, these vendors, I mean, I don't see like get your guide calling them. Right. So that, first of all, that's really cool that you guys did that. I believe you spoke today that like once it kind of the dust settled after a couple of weeks, um, you started offering, there was like, you know, obviously some online stuff. You guys, you guys kind of had like bookable, I think one of them that you had, was like a, a comedy session online with like a Zoom yeah. call with a comedian. What, what, are, what did you have any, do you have any other examples you can share? Yeah. So we worked with like the bachelor TV show and we worked with a couple of these like comedians to, to host live events. And we actually saw the recaps of some of them and they were really fun, but we were just trying to do anything we possibly could to offer something. This is like when zoom zooming with your friends was cool for like a month or two, you know, before going like, really old. novelty died <laughs> yeah. very quickly. So, yeah. so we did, we did some really cool events where we just hosted like a, a live comedy roast where we actually roasted bachelors. We're 92% bachelorettes, but every once in a while we'll get like some bachelor parties in our app. And if you're 92% bachelorettes. Yeah. Was great. that the same before the pandemic or is it like the, the margins has actually increased or is it remain steady? So, so we've always been heavy on the bachelorette side. And it's, huh. it's because, I mean, you could attribute it to a, a variety of things, but, you know, first and foremost, bachelorettes are better at planning. They're more proactive, you know, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> like, guys are too sloppy with their trips. They need us. They're not ready to just like give up yet, yeah. but they, they need us, you know, but bachelorettes, I think they've found a lot of value in this and also when we first we bought the IP to to this blog that was helping like a bachelorette party planning service when we started batch and uh, and we ended up like acquiring a small kind of user base from that and then we ended up just marketing and building the same like off of that hub that, that so user it, base yeah that's cool yeah it's really really cool it's it's surprising still though that it's ninety two percent and. That's, you know, that's interesting beyond that. And I think you adapted even the experiences as, as we moved, as the pandemic still remained a reality. I think, I think what you spoke about, like adding a little bit more hikes or like featuring some of the things that are more like COVID friendly to the top of these cities. That was a really cool strategy. And, and then you increase the cities to 14, which, you know, and you add all this content, it's your content that you have somebody working on. And so that was really cool. What was, uh, what was the thought process being like, okay, let's just, you know, we had plans to expand, let's expand, just curtail experiences. And and what, what did you say to guys, like, let's do this? Like, what was yeah. the, uh, how did that go? I mean, it, it went through iterations of, of communicating with all stakeholders of batch, investors, advisors, our internal team to decide, okay, you know, this will end at some point. And when it does, let's make sure we come out on top. So we actually just buckled down and built out our team. We double, we actually doubled the size of our team last year. And half of our team has never seen success until that, like recent, like the past couple of weeks, honestly, which is, yeah, which is crazy. You know, we, we doubled our team. We reinvented our product. We evolved, we came up with a completely new brand identity and uh, we expanded, we went nuts with building out our marketplace. And there were a couple kind of like foundational things under that, the whole like lean and mean core value of just coming out of this a better business. Like we increased our margins. We wanted to make sure that we had everything that we could possibly offer from when you wake up to when you go to bed for your batch party in terms of like just this big Rolodex of experiences. 
And then we've actually been building accommodations too, which I'm really excited about. Uh, that's about to launch in a month. But, you know, I think through the whole time period last year, it's just, let's just sharpen the knife and make sure that we have the best in class product to come out, come out of this taken over. And we're right now, we're just trying to fulfill that promise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's great that you've been able to, to survive and that you're ready because like travel tech is going to, is going to boom in a, in a huge way very, very soon. You spoke about numbers uh, going up. What would, uh, how many parties are we at right now? We're getting 3000 parties a week. So we're incredibly excited. That's really yeah. cool. I think you, you shared some of the functionalities that you want to add. Like one of them was lodging. Is this because you're going out and finding actually vendors that are like actually perfectly situated for this type of event, right? Is that correct? Yeah. So we built supplier integration or we integrated with a supplier portal that will essentially open us up to a variety of hosts and property managers throughout the country. Okay. So a lot of uh, properties actually got kicked off of Airbnb because they didn't want to host parties. Like they weren't permitted to be like party houses. And we just, we welcomed them with open arms. We're like, come on over here, guys. You know, and, and the, and the idea for us is that our value is that we want to bring the party to, our, to the house for our user base. Like regardless of where the pandemic goes the next couple months, we want to be able to offer the best houses. Like for every house, you know, you need, the, you know, bedrooms, you need a pool, you need a cool hangout spot. And then we want to layer in a private chef or, or maybe you want a DJ to come or, or like a yoga instructor. So we're just trying to get the party to the house so that we have houses that you can book in the app, all these services that can cater towards the house and then all sorts of activities outside of that in the neighborhood to where like locally where you're staying that you could go do during the day. Mm -hmm. That, that sounds Exactly what I would like to be done for me if I went to a yeah. party. Yeah. It sounds so easy and like more simplistic and less headachey, less stressful. That's I'm, I'm glad you're solving that pain, man. This is a tougher question. What do you like? I'm glad to see the numbers are are, are doing good and you're doing better. What's what's uh, the metrics of success for for this year? Sure. So we'd like to hit fifty thousand parties a month. So if we can do that, I feel like we could really impact economies and and do great for our vendors you know, do well in terms of revenue and provide And, you know, it's clear at that point that we're providing a great experience for our users. So if we can do 50,000 a month, Nashville, this is a crazy number, but they're about 20% of our total US market share right now. You know, that would be like about 10,000 parties a month going to Nashville. So on any given weekend, you have 2,500 bachelorette parties. <laughs> so what you're, what you're saying is you're gonna probably get a trophy from the city of nashville and uh, <laughs> cool. you know we're, we're working with tourism boards to say hey guys hmm. we're gonna bring thousands of people to you this year uh tens of thousands and um you know i think the interesting thing is that we want to impact these vendors and then it would be cool to impact economies you know in up-and-coming cities as well like Scottsdale has been really popular lately. It's our number two city right now. And then Savannah, Georgia, they have an open container policy. And Georgia is like, I do, we do not endorse this, but they are loose on their COVID laws. I went down on a, on a road trip with my dad through Savannah and it was like the Wild West. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. Like, so there's these crazy dynamics happening in our marketplace cities. And, um, you know, I think the goal for us is to impact all these vendors' businesses, but also eventually other economies as well, such as like take Atlantic City, for example, like 
you could totally, if you're sending that amount of demand on any given weekend to a place, they have casinos, you know, we could build up mom and pop businesses around these casinos. It's on a beach. Like there's a lot of potential to impact Mm -hmm. other cities as well. Yeah, it's really cool. That's, uh, it's nice to hear that some entrepreneurs out there are really trying to help the people that actually have been suffering the most right now in the pandemic in terms of like businesses and whatnot. And like travel and tourism is really right up there. Cool, man. Well, that's, uh, it sounds like it's going to be a really interesting year. We, we talked about your path, like, you know, through entrepreneurship, you know, you've had, you have your ups and downs, uh, any advice or like big accomplishments that you, you could share and that you think people could, could, uh, could learn from? I mean, accomplishments, we're on our way. You know, this is just the beginning for Batch. And I'm, I'm incredibly excited about that. And then I think in terms of learnings, I've gone, th- I spent my 20s building startups, living in New York City, making it month to month kind of thing, very scrappy. I, I think that when you get in to pursue an opportunity, you have to treat it as if you're an investor yourself. Like think about the market opportunity, like make sure you understand the business model um, and, and like before getting involved and kind of like, you just need to do your diligence and take your time being thoughtful about the ventures that you pursue. And then when you do go at them, go out in full force, hold nothing back. The sound advice. We're going to take a little step here. It's a, it's a question that kind of doesn't feel much with the, the rest we've been discussing lately, but it's important for me because I, I like it. Uh, it's something like I like doing. But you've become like you've really started enjoying surfing a lot uh, ever since that accident. I I wanted to touch a little bit on that. What's what does surfing do for you, and and why do you think you've been so like attached to that as a as an activity like a for mic time? Well, it strengthens my neck, which is great. <laughs> and then you know, aside from that, living in New York, your entire body, man, it strengthens you pretty much your entire yeah, body. You're great. swimming. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it keeps you sane. So yeah. living in New York, you're you're constantly just like fast-paced environment and there's a lack of outdoors. So it was great to be able to get to Rockaway or to Long Beach easily or to North Jersey. Um, you know, it was great. Like the relationships that you establish with your friends, like when you're getting up at 5 a.m. is amazing. Um, and then the business lessons involved in surfing are really cool too. I say this, I love surfing. I've been doing it my whole life, like since I was a kid. I'm not that great compared to how much I love it. I'm an average surfer, you know, but, but I, I surf some cool places. And what I can say is that um, I think it just translates well to entrepreneurship. When you're trying to paddle into a wave, you got to go all in, you know, you got to wait for the right sets to come in and have patience. And when you see an opportunity come go hard, you know, and I think some of those experiences that I've had translate really well, have taught me patience but it also kind of get, given me a sense of like being calm um, when evaluating like, you know, the, the life of a startup and things like that. Yeah. I, my, I've had a really good surf, like an incredible surfing experience. And I've also had one where I almost shit my pants and this one I wiped <laughs> out on a, on a wave. So, but the, the real good one for me was that I was living in South Africa and, and, I just like I broke it up with my partner virtually and uh, back in, from back in Montreal, and I was like I was feeling crap. And um, my boss's uh, husband partner uh, who, who surfs a lot, he's like, "Man, just come with me surfing." And I went, and it was sunsetting, and I just I felt amazing afterwards. Yeah. Um, do you feel like it's like a stress reliever as well, in a way? A hundred percent. Yeah. Anytime you can get out there is the best, but it's just tricky on the East coast because you've got to battle. Like, are the winds right? Is there a swell coming? 
can I afford to dedicate this time to go? Especially when it's winter and you're in the Northeast and you're wearing like seven millimeters of stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. You have to be, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, Surfer Dan. Um, he's, a, he's incredible. Uh, he's out in Michigan or Lake Michigan oh, rather. I think I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> he's got like icicles on, on his beard and he's just yeah. like, he goes right in because the waves on, on the Great Lakes are really high in the winter and he just, He's insane. <laughs> that's pretty much my point here. Yeah. But uh, that's cool. Um, right now, you're, you're growing your team. You mentioned it earlier. Um, how's that adjustment been? You know, it's it's really, it's always cool in that, you know, startups, you know, at our startup, for example, we have an achievement channel. Every time we have a new partnership or or the dev team has really accomplished something, we throw it an achievement channel on Slack and everybody's like, yeah, there's all these like emojis and stuff. Um, how has it been, how's the adjustment been to growing the team and, and adding these members, uh, in some of the, like, you know, in a phase where you're starting really low, but you only have, you know, the moon to achieve, I suppose. It's amazing. I mean, I love our team. We, it's something that we've taken seriously since day one was that it's not about the idea. It's not about the market opportunity. It's, it's about the people that are behind this thing. And I think that we can take this team and replicate it to build a billion dollar business in a variety of different industries at this point. I, I think that it's been really important to establish great leadership from day one, especially as an early stage company for being how like analytical we are. And um, you know, we're very like well operationalized and we have OKRs and KPIs, all the sorts of metrics to track at a pretty early stage. But you know, I think that we just have a bunch of badasses that I'm thankful for personally because it's just enabled me to go out and do my job, which is just make sure that we have the resources that the company needs to be successful, and then just, and then just put parameters and, and goals in place to determine our success over time. You know, once the the impact is completely over, let's say like tomorrow, like let's say tomorrow, the entire you know North America is completely vaccine. There's no more effects of this. What's the next step for back? Or batch, sorry. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, as I said, it's it's there's three approaches. There's one, let's make the business successful, create the, hit the revenue goals that we've that we have in place. Yeah. Two is let's provide a great experience for our customers. That's the most important at this stage, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, through the product that we've built, good great customer service and and uh, and just making sure that we have the marketplace covered to everything they could possibly want to do. And then three is let's help the vendors. They've struggled the past year. You know, let's drive cash back into these businesses months ahead of when, you know, Time. these people are actually going on their party um, so we can help them out too. So I think those are the three most important things at this stage to, uh, to you know, have a successful year. We're almost at the end of the show, unfortunately, uh, but this is a question I ask almost every guest. I've I failed to do it once because we really went past due time. But um, if you were in my shoes as a podcast host in the travel experiences world, who would you invite as a next guest? You know, I thought about this. I I have a um, I I don't have that many friends in travel. I have a lot of founder friends. I would recommend getting in touch with my buddy Steve from Bebot because he built a cool company around uh, if you're going to order something with your phone, like at a restaurant right now, yeah. he built the technology that enables that. 
And so he had a really explosive year last year. And he was trying to get out, trying to convince restaurants to do this for like three years. And then last year, he went nuts. Yeah, his phone <laughs> <Yeah>. blew up. <laughs> that's, cool. that's, that's really cool. And and he gets to help the people who, who need the most right now, right? The restaurants right. that can't have uh, clients to come in and sit down. And, and now he helps them uh, get their orders out in a more efficient way. That's cool. Yeah, well, well I'll keep that in mind. Thank you so much. My last question is uh, if people want to, you know, either vendors or people who want to sort of integrate uh, other aspects to, to your solution, to your app, um, what's the best way they can reach you? So you got general inquiries, you got info at the batch, Cowboy Greg, you have greg at the batch.com, get in touch with me, you have mike at the batch.com, but we have, again, a wonderful team. There's a lot of different, there's people that run, you know, various like departments or divisions of this company. So I think you do your research and just know that it's at thebatch.com. It's easy to get in touch with us. Cool. And and the surfers, where they can where can they find you right now? I'm just waiting to figure out where to go next, but <laughs> I'm hoping I can get into Costa Rica trip. <laughs> all, right, all right, cool. Costa Rica it is, man. Mike, thank you so much for coming. I love your story. I've told you this many times before. I think you really embody a really cool entrepreneurial spirit. I'm really, really excited for you guys. And I really love the the team you assembled. I, I've seen some of the stuff that they've been working on already through social media. This is going to be a great year for you guys. So thank you so much for coming on the pod. And uh, we'll have to follow your journey closely. Thank you for having me, Philippe. This was great. Appreciate yeah. the time. All right. Bye. <laughs>